0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to yet another exciting episode of Views on View. I am Steve Edwards, the host with the face for radio and the voice for being a mime, but I'm still your host today. We have with me our very special guest, coming all the way from Switzerland. Did I get that right? That's correct, Zurich. Okay, Sylvan Muleman, Muleman. How are you doing, Sylvan? I'm doing fine,
1: thanks. Thanks for having me, Steve.
0: My pleasure, my pleasure. We are an international podcast interviewing people from all over the world. I always like to talk about that.
2: Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topenddevs.com slash podcast and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story, about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs, why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv, and I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are gonna help you to build the career that you want. Right? So whether you wanna be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever. I I wanna give you the resources that are gonna help you do that. We're gonna have career and leadership resources in there and we're gonna be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com.
0: So to start out, before we get into our topics regarding Vue, uh, Sylvan, why don't you just tell, give us a little background on yourself, who you are, development background, why you're famous, what you do, so on.
1: All right. Okay. So I'm the... The CTO of a company based here in Zurich with uh, 50 employees our company is a we call that um, company builder so uh, what we do is that people with business idea they come up to us, they share their idea with us, we provide them the, the background the knowledge about entrepreneurship, but also about uh, software development. And when I talk about software development, it is about web technologies, for example, Vue, that is. And this experience on how to to build uh, companies or build up new web-based business models, we have that from our First company that I founded right after my after I graduated, it was very early social network. So was year two thousand, and so it was really the in the we founded that in the middle of the dot com crisis. But uh, that that platform we built there got quite successful. So two thousand and six, it was the second biggest website or application in Switzerland and yeah there we we did this for ten years. We uh, learned about a lot about running big websites. We had like something like sixty physical web servers there to to keep that running and yeah so after we sold that company because we had to sell sell it because that time uh uh, Facebook got big and there wasn't the need anymore for like a for like a small swiss social network everyone wanted to be on on Facebook and um yeah so we sold that company and then we started with this new company that that I was talking about first the and now with my current project i'm i started for we started very small so i was we were like two people i was the one doing the the programming and over the years we continued growing we're now as i said 50 55 employees 40 engineers and uh, so my job evolved a bit and so i'm doing a lot of topics like uh, Software architecture, security topics, and, but still, I, I still love the programming. And although I don't do so much programming for like our customers, I rather do the, the proof of concepts, exploring new technologies, um, like the ones, uh, you have seen on the Medium post, for example, or, um, also during the, the i use the weekends to do the programming there i love exploring new technologies like things like machine learning i ha- i built this application in javascript which where you have a an animation of bugs where you have in a kind of a maze and that these bugs, they are learning how to go through that maze. That's that's something you can look at when you visit my webpage. So I've know many different technologies, and but my main passion is from that development. So that's why also I most of my projects are built with Vue or usually type with TypeScript nowadays. Yeah. So besides that, I'm married i have two kids and they're already teenagers so so i have more time now for uh for programming
0: yeah yes i understand how that goes very well so out of curiosity what are the names of the two companies you talked about so your current one is actually i'll give it to you because i found it is it mulemen and pop is that yeah that's correct yeah
1: difficult to pronounce for a non-german speaker oh i
0: think i did okay but uh... absolutely very good very good yeah (laughs) Muleman-pop.ch, and then what was the name of the social network that you initially founded that uh, Facebook wiped out? Yeah, it was called Till Late
1: um, with three L until the short form of until late. And it was oh, okay. because yeah. it was because the main the business model, how we got people attracted on the site, I think that's interesting. It it was because we back in year two thousand people didn't have cameras on the mobile phones, so they went out so we had a team of photographers, we went out to clubs, took pictures in those clubs, distributed business cards with the address of our website and put those pictures on the website and then people came to visit our site and, and look at those pictures. And it's something nowadays not necessary anymore because people have their camera and their mobile phone. and yeah But back then, it was very successful and generated a lot of uh, page views.
0: So I see, it looks like till8.com is still out there and there's a Tillate community on Facebook. Is that the same thing or is that something different? It looks like it's geared towards nightlife social networking.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's still it. I, and... I wasn't aware that it's still alive, but <laughs> nice surprise. Yeah.
0: Well, maybe not. The Tillate.com site does. And I just found the group on, on Facebook. Uh, yeah. Interesting. So
1: maybe it's, maybe it's some nostalgist, you know, people ar- my, around my age, the 40-year-olds, they, they uh, love to dwell in those times. And then it's some, yeah, they formed well, maybe this group.
0: So there's a, U- oh, yeah, it looks like it's old stuff because there's a UK till late Twitter account, but the page it links to isn't in existence. So yeah, it looks like it's maybe sort of died <laughs> finally.
1: There is actually, uh, there's still one subsidiary in Albania. Um, oh, I don't really? know the address and they even have a magazine. So oh, still- interesting. <laughs> it's interesting how, and I'm not the owner anymore. I didn't know about that. It's interesting how a company can even live- for such a long time without the original right. founders knowing about it.
0: Yeah, till late.al. It's rocking and rolling it looks like. All about the nightlife for sure. Interesting. Cool. So, there's a couple things we want to talk about. I want to get back into your company and your development history and all the things you've seen over the years. You just reading the bio that you gave us, it really parallels a lot of, you know what I saw in my development history as well. The thing that had attracted you attracted us to you or got our attention, I guess, was a couple of blog posts you made. And there's one that I think is pretty cool. It shows a very simple use of Vue and how with one little component, you can do something pretty cool that doesn't uh, need a lot of work. And it's titled, uh, the way the blog post is titled, is How Vue.js Can Replace Photoshop, Sort of. So uh, uh, we'll put the link in the show notes. It's on the Mule Men and Pop site. So you want to walk us through, I guess, the the use case, uh, what you were looking to do and how you used View to, uh, to create this little uh, Photoshop replacement. Sure, sure. I have to admit, replacing Photoshop is a bit of a clickbait
1: here because... Uh, but <laughs> in that particular... <laughs> <laughs> but in that particular place, it really did it. So the the story behind it was that my business uh, partner partner marcus he had his wedding uh, planned um, and we didn't have a gift for him so a colleague of mine came mine came to the idea to, let's let's he loves his company so much let's give him make him a gift where we have um a picture of each of our team members um, on it. And each team member, each of these 50 team members should write a little note, uh, a wish for the wedding. So that was thinking, how can I do that quickly? So, The initial thought is, okay, I'm going to ask everyone to send me their picture, and then I'm going to use Photoshop and try to place those pictures within Photoshop manually. Yeah, but that sounded like really a lot of work. And me being a a Vue developer, I thought, okay, let's try to use the PDF generation capacities of modern browsers to, to generate the PDF programmatically using Vue. So the idea is I use Vue, I generate the page, I convert that to PDF, and I use that PDF to, and I print that as a poster. And so the approach was very simple. I used an API uh, connecting to our um, human resource management tool, PeopleForce, that is, it pulls all pictures of all current employees. It generates one web page and using the CSS calculation capabilities, using um, uh, basic CSS elements I'm or rules, I'm, I'm generating one big read with all photos of the, of the, our team members along with their wishes. Then on my local machine, I just opened that page set the and and print it or save it as large pdf and yeah so within i think 2 or 3 hours i had a neat looking gift for for my business partner and uh, thanks to 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 this being done programmatically i was easily able to to tweak margins add a new employee remove one employee who already left the company. So I was really able to dynamically uh, modify the content. And uh, yeah, so uh, I printed that. I we put that in, I framed it. And now Marcus was really happy with that. He put that on the, he still has it in in the background of each of his um, video conferences because he liked it so much and, Besides that, I also, we use that for, for internal, for marketing our, uh, on LinkedIn. And uh, yeah, it was a really fun thing to do. Not much work and with a great result. So it's really the kind of project I, I love. Yeah.
0: Okay, so a couple things I want to point out in the blog post, little details. One of the things you're talking about is because this is for printed media, uh, you really wanted to fine tune the placement of the image on the page. And so you mentioned that with CSS, you can actually specify centi- millimeters and centimeters as size units. That was something I was unaware of. Not- I haven't needed to do that myself, but that allowed you, you talked about how that allowed you to get it exactly as you need with the framework of a specific paper size, I think A2, which is a real common one. So anything else? Did I miss anything on that? Anything else?
1: That's no. correct. I I think most developers are afraid of those units. They prefer, as it's, many think, what are these u- units good for? But if you want to generate something you want to print later, those are the perfect units. And particularly, you can also do then calculate calculations with it. And it was yeah, v- a very convenient way to to achieve
0: my my goal. Okay. And then a little humorous note I liked is you had a tweet. I think it's Zou Wei Zhang is how you pronounce the guy's name. Chinese it looks like. Never spend six minutes doing something by hand when you can spend six hours failing to automate it. I'm raising my hand saying yes, but that's because the fun is doing the automation, not the end product. But uh, you said you were able to do it in less than six hours. What three or four hours? Under six hours? So how long did it take you to whip this up? Yeah, I think it was something like like three hours
1: to do that. And uh, the most important thing is, uh, I didn't fail at it. And uh, yeah, that's but one example. Not to fail.
0: That's always yeah. well, not always good because sometimes you learn more from failing. But in this case,
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but I, I agree with this uh, with this tweet. Yeah, no. and you always learn something. I mean, I I was able to use this, so it was a good example for our developers and to show how important it is to think outside the box, because that's just a, a use case for Vue, which is very uncommon. And so it also has, for me as a as a CTO, it has also another another purpose besides just generating that that gift.
0: Right. So actually, yeah, we'll come back to that in a minute. But there's an interesting tie-in here. So there's another blog post you wrote about, and this is, I guess this is more JavaScript-specific than, I mean, more generally JavaScript, excuse me, as compared to view specific but you're talking about generating beautiful-looking PDFs in SPAs, and single-page applications. And we've talked about the structure before, so I want you to explain that, but I'm just curious. And this one, when you saved the PDF, you said you just generated in Chrome. Did you use the procedure from this other blog post with using your backend, or did you use some other more simple method to generate the PDF in the browser? So in the
1: case, you're still talking about the the one, the first blog post, right? Yes. The one with uh-huh. the, yeah. No, there I just use the print function of the browser. Okay. Uh, print and then save as PDF.
0: Right. So. Well, no need to reinvent the wheel if you don't need to, right? Well... Sometimes it's fun, but <laughs> yeah, when speed is of the when speed is the concern, then reinventing the wheel isn't necessary. So yeah. let's move on to your other blog post, generating beautiful looking PDFs in single page applications. So that's you're certainly not unique in wanting to do that. I know in the past I've done some uh, some PDF generation of some fairly complex legal documents from Angular JS, and I think I used something like PDF Make or some other JavaScript library that just built it and then you know, send it to the browser and and print it from there. So tell us about uh, this process that you came up with.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So here, it's not the first time that we have created PDFs out of web application. That's a a task I had already did a dozen times. But in the past, usually the approach was that some server-side application some Python or, or PHP application was generating an HTML page, and then we sent this through. Back then, we had a WK HTML to PDF to convert that page to the to uh, to a PDF. Now, in this case, we had we developed uh, the the PDF. I wanted to print was generated using an application which is used, used Vue and Nuxt in the front end. And on the back end, we had a J- Django uh, application. And there, the, the actual page, the report was generated in the front end. So how do I get this page, the content of my browser into a PDF The first approach we tried was let's just trigger the print functionality of the browser by using, I don't know, window.print, I'm not sure if it's the correct one, to make the print dialog display and have every user just um, print that page like this. The problem with this approach was that every user, this report looked differently in every Browser because Firefox rendered the the page break CSS or oh, co- processed the page break CSS rules in a different way than Chrome. I, I don't know why. Probably nobody uses those CSS rules for printing. So, but anyway, wait. client was unhappy because it looked different in every browser type. So we thought, how can we We need to have this run by a headless Chrome on the server um, so that every user is using the same engine to generate the PDF. Now, the problem, this means we wanted, what we needed was to generate that web page or that content of the DOM on on the server, but to be able to convert this then to a PDF, but this this is quite complicated because um, to get to that report, the user clicked a lot of different bu- buttons and cho- chose filters. And in order to do that on the server, we would have, have had to replicate these clicks of buttons or somehow store the set state in the cli- from the client and pass it to the server. So instead of trying to do this what we did is we just took the content of the the dom and sent that content to the server and that server sent it to a headless chrome and used puppeteer to populate an, an empty web page with that dom content and then we used that the headless chrome's pdf save as pdf functionality to convert that to a PDF. It is quite difficult to explain, but uh, on, the, on the blog post, I have a diagram which, which explains it. Yeah.
2: Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately, I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and in some cases, just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're beginner going to intermediate, intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance, I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build relationships and how to build their careers and max out and, and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you wanna go. So once again, that's topenddevs.com slash coaching.
0: When I think of headless Chrome, I mean, the way I'm usually interacting with it is browser testing. So with the Laravel and View app where we're using Dusk, it fires up a, a headless Chrome. So all the engine without the, the user interface and does its thing and then you know tells you how it works. So it sounds like you're doing something similar here and just using that to render your 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 PDF. Yes, exactly, that's correct.
1: Yeah, with the, the users, with the users' user agent, used that content is used as source for uh, for generating the PDF. So it's sent back to the server into the headless Chrome. So it's a, qu- a bit unconventional, but it was the only way to uh, to solve the problem. At the end of the day, now every PDF looks good, and the, the customer was happy with the result.
0: Okay, so looking at the diagram here in your blog post, and you know we'll have the link to the blog post in the notes so you can look at it yourself. But So the HTML markup, the DOM, gets set to Django, which is a Python framework, right? So there you use Puppeteer to call Chromium, pass it the document, and then... So there's some Python code that actually does the PDF generation. I would assume there's some sort of custom code in there to, to tell it, okay, this is what we want the PDF to look like, correct?
1: Yeah, so we're using the Python... Port of Puppeteer, um, it's it's called puppeteer
0: and that
1: code is then generating the
0: PDF. Okay, so that sends it back to Django, which and so then you send that back to your view front end, is that right? Or JavaScript front yeah. end, which then in turn takes the rendered object and, and sends it to the browser.
1: Yeah. So the the p- generated PDF is stored in uh, Google Cloud Platform.
0: Storage. Okay, and that's the object store in your diagram. Yeah, okay. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then you're just sending a link to that to that object store, to the PDF in the store? Correct. Okay. Yeah. So it's not just rendering it in the browser. You're generating it on a back end and then saying, Okay, here's a link to your document. hmm Right, yeah, we do that uh, in my app. We do that with we use Amazon S three, you know, buckets to generate exports and and say here is the link to your export. So very simple. So in other words, we're using the server backend just to wrap this part of it up to generate a consistent looking document because of differing renderings based on your browser. So you have a consistent document every time. Exactly. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's now that I look at it, I see it's, it's uh, I haven't seen it with Puppeteer using Headless Chromium, but that's that's a very great use of the Chromium engine since you have a DOM. <laughs> You're starting out with a DOM, right? With all your information and you can just pass it and use that. Excellent. All right. So next, let's move on to one of the more fun things to talk about, at least for me, and your journey through web development. So you started in 1999, so a little, right about the same time I did, actually. Before, before most anybody started in web it really wasn't what maybe early 90s i can remember the first dial up uh, web pages and mid 90s i guess so how did you got how would you get started and let and in particular we can talk about the different javascript frameworks going from vanilla javascript to some of the when people started to make tools to make it easier to use javascript and do stuff for you mm-hmm.
1: yes so the interesting thing when i was starting with web development it was my personal homepage and something like 98. And there I use front page. That was my first Microsoft
0: front page. <laughs> you and me both. Microsoft <laughs> front page. That was where I started out to drag and drop. Yeah, exactly. I don't know if it still exists, but yeah. And
1: there, the, the, I think there was, there was already JavaScript back then. But for things like, I remember for, I wanted to have a create a button where I can hover and it changes the color. They didn't use JavaScript for the hover effect. What they used they used
0: a Java applet to to achieve this. Oh boy, yeah, I can remember <laughs> those. Okay, yeah. Yeah. That's Took forever too used? long. So Oh yeah, of course. That's what front page used, you're saying? hmm That was in front page. Yep. Yeah. But
1: then I think the first contact yeah then the next step of big milestone for me was the the first approach on how to use AJAX. But the first version of AJAX or wasn't was done in a very weird way. I don't know if you remember that or if you also also did it like this. It was a one pixel wide iframe and uh, use some and it used this to do connections to the. To the server, so a, a, a very weird hack. So just we manipulated the U R the source attribute of the of the iframe with passing the U R L there, and then it loaded some data from the server into this hidden iframe. So this was really a nasty way, but it, we used it to build our first chat room on our social network.
0: I'm sure there are no there,
1: security like, issues either, right? No, that <laughs> was like 2003 or so. No. And then I think the first actual framework that I'm, I remember was uh, Prototype
0: 2006. And Yeah, I remember that and Mootools, if I remember correctly. Mootools, I was at a pretty large company then, and one of our developers was using Mootools right around then, 2006, about the same time. But yes, I remember Prototype. I think Scriptaculous is another one that comes to mind. Yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Scriptacular prototype. I looked at it. What it did.
1: It looks very close to this to jQuery later with this dollar sign and using uh, CSS selectors to find the elements on the page and had this this dollar dollar f and then parentheses to locate the forms and how was scripticalus what.
0: I, I don't cannot- remember. I didn't really use it myself. I was a, at the time, I was in a sort of a systems analyst role, but I remember watching uh, our developer who was using that at the time just to do some, add some animations and opens and closing accordion type effects and, and other things. Not so much uh, Ajax requests, but just page interaction.
1: Yeah, right, right. I missed
0: that one. Huh?
1: Yeah, but we also used it in our company. But the, Big next step, big framework I'm aware of is then jQuery. And I, I looked up when I started, we started using that one, 2009. And for me, it was just a, a revolution. Suddenly, it was so easy not only to locate the elements on the page, but also to, to hide
0: them, then to fade out, fade in, change color. It was uh,
1: I couldn't believe
0: that it's so easy. Yeah, I remember. Now did you use Backbone? You mentioned Backbone. And I remember when yeah. I was in the Drupal world, Backbone had been incorporated into I think version 5, maybe version 4, I don't remember. Uh and then jQuery was added as well. But did you use Backbone?
1: Yeah, a bit. I think Backbone is was really very
0: low level, a lot of utility functions, right? I believe so. I never really interacted with it, so I'm not sure. Yeah,
1: yeah. It was it's still alive or it's it has been then replaced. It's by I think underscore. I don't I'm not sure. It's I think those two are somehow related. Well there's underscore and then underscore became Lodash, I believe. Oh no. Then I I mixed that up. So it yeah, backbone was something else. Yeah. But I remember those times with jQuery there we we didn't have any state management in the right. in the browser. I I remember I stored I think I stored all the state always in in data attributes, if I remember correctly. Oh, on the HTML elements, right? Yeah, exactly. I don't know if it was good practice or not, but that's how we did it. Well
0: sometimes the best practice is what works.
1: <laughs> yeah. Exactly.
0: Yeah, yeah and then mm-hmm. so were you using any like uh CMSs to generate your HTML? Because all of these um uh, a lot of these were, you know, especially jQuery, you had to have your HTML and then it would attach to your HTML element and then, you know, load up and then you could, could do your things. So what were you using for generating your HTML code initially?
1: So we came from the PHP world. This means, uh, well, the first framework was the was am um, I? I wrote it myself. As every developer has to first write his own framework. Right. Of course, it wasn't. <laughs> it was completely insecure. We we had SQL injection attacks there. But event, then we moved. To, we then we thought better to move to something proven. We right. s- used Zen Framework in PHP. Uh-huh. And right and Symfony also right. in PHP. So
0: yeah, I'm remembering there was PHP Nuke, which .NET Nuke, I can remember having somebody build a site for an organization I belong to in .NET Nuke. PHP Nuke, there's CakePHP. Uh, I'm not sure when that one came along. So yeah, there started you started to see some, some PHP frameworks for sure.
1: Yeah, but then... Yeah, but yeah, back then everything, the whole... We didn't have this separation between front-end application, back-end application. This is something that started in our case 2016, maybe, but back then, we just had backend developers, and they did
0: a bit of front end, and that completely changed now since then, in terms of separating front end versus backend. Yeah. Well, so, that now you also have the full stack term. You know, you look at look for job descriptions out there, and always looking for a full stack developer that can do both backend and front end, and and so on. But yeah, I can remember. I always. Sort of categorize myself as a backend person just because of my familiarity with PHP and all the server side, and not so much the JavaScript or CSS, HTML side of things.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. The full stack developers are still my my most is my preferred profile because yeah, but yeah, you you have you they can do a whole application by themselves. You don't have this split with communication issues, and but uh, it's hard to find nowadays developers who know both, who have, because
0: everything got so complex nowadays. So then the JavaScript frameworks came, started coming along. I think Angular was, to my recollection, was the first sort of really well-known front-end framework, the first for Angular, what's now referred to as Angular JS. Did you ever work with Angular, or React, or any of the other various JavaScript we, frameworks?
1: We... Worked with Angular. We did one project, but quite quickly we we switched over to one to Vue. One of our developer was really passionate about it and showed me how much how easy it is compared to Angular, where you had to write a lot of boilerplate code in the beginning. With Vue, you were able to just add the script tag load view and then you were you could start start with components and it was really very easy to get started and that was like 2016 i think and and since since then our whole company is just using view and yeah we also we hire react developers but yeah we We switched them to view because, yeah, we just it's mainly for historical reasons, I think, and we never saw a reason to to switch to move away for it from it.
0: So did you start with? I've never heard too many people talk about view one. View two has always seemed to be the dominant version, at least since I came in. That doesn't mean a lot of people didn't use it. it just means i wasn't <laughs> I wasn't around. Uh, did you come in with view two?
1: I, we started in 2016, so I'm not sure if we already had two, view two back then, but I, I can't remember, and I think the difference between one and two weren't as big as the ones between two or three. But I'm not, in, I'm not sure.
0: Yeah, I don't think the, the change was, was quite as big. So yeah, it looks like according to Wikipedia, View 2 was released on September 30th of 2016. Oh, probably. Then we
1: we used Vue two from the start because I cannot remember any tasks in the backlog saying we need to migrate this project to Vue two. Yeah.
0: So you've mentioned uh, when we were talking about the PDF generation, you mentioned that you're using Nuxt. So in your either either personal. Or business application? Do you primarily use Vue as a single-page application? Are you using Nuxt with server-side or static generation? Or what uh, tools does your company tend to use on a, on a regular basis? Yeah, so the standard is Vue
1: with Nuxt. And the reason is that um, the first application we made without Nuxt Every application looks differently because Vue isn't opinionated. It doesn't tell you what how to structure your application, and so uh, one of our developers suggested showed me Noxt and how it it provides proven approaches to different solutions like routing and state management and authentication, and that's why. All our recent applications that we built are using Noxt. And if we talk about tools or um, standards that we have, we also use TypeScript by default. We did have some discussion in the team. What is better, TypeScript or, or plain JavaScript? Here, the the outcome was like 90% of the developers in our team preferred TypeScript. So that's why we said, Typescript is our standard,
0: yeah that's pretty that's pretty common. I know we're using it more and more in our application. I still haven't gone completely down the typescript rabbit rabbit hole yet uh, just because of time constraints more than anything but uh, yeah that's it's dominating JavaScript develop at least from stats I've seen from surveys and and other types of things. I know I've seen some discussions from the w three c or from the the JavaScript working groups. I can't remember about adding possibly adding type implementations into the browser, into JavaScript itself. Not sure where that'll go or what status oh, wow. that's out at, at the moment. But, you know, it's like anything else. I mean, you think you go back to jQuery, what was its purpose? Its purpose was to make things easier that you couldn't do in the browser, you know, and to handle all the cross-browser implementations and the variations between Internet Explorer and, excuse me, Explorer, and Firefox and Chrome and so on. And now JavaScript is finally starting to fade because all the things that it did have been implemented in JavaScript itself. And so we may or may not see the same thing with types. You know, have to keep an eye on that for sure. Mm. But uh, I,
1: what's interesting, what you're saying here is I just read a thread on Twitter where someone said jQuery was the greatest framework or something like that. And there was a discussion why are you saying was, it still is. And one person then answered that jQuery is still alive, but it's just has been incorporated into the the JavaScript API. And because most probably, you know, that that website, no, you don't need jQuery, something like this, which shows that almost every jQuery function, you have it natively in the browser. And Yeah, so what's interesting is that actually these frameworks, they are driving the development of modern JavaScript engines. And maybe we have the same with TypeScript as you just said.
0: Yeah, for sure. That's sometimes when things are moving too slow, a little external competition will give you a kick in the pants to get things going for sure.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: All right. Is there anything else you wanted to cover before we wrap up and head to PICS? No, I think we talked about everything interesting here. No. Good deal. All right. Well, with that, we will move to picks. Picks are the part of the show uh, where we get to talk about any other things we want to talk about tech-related, non-tech-related,
2: food, books, movies, clothes, you name it. Hey, folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. So we'll let the guests go first today. And
0: uh, what do you got for us for picks, Sylvan? Yeah, so I have two picks. Both picks come from the
1: domain of of AI, one... The first one is uh, Whisper. I don't know if you have heard of that that application. It's extremely powerful application which allows to recognize speech well and transform it into into text, like a speech to text engine. Actually, it doesn't sound really surprising until you look at the. The demos they have on the their website, and there they are they have like sound samples or which are extreme for me as a non English speaker very difficult to understand. But that engine is able to recognize the speech and transform it into text. And so what I tried yesterday, I I. To try it out, I took uh, the video from a mu- just a random music video. It, I think it was a... Who's the Real Slim Shady? I think that one from Eminem. Oh, uh, from Eminem? Eminem, exactly. Okay. I ran it through that, that engine, and it generated a perfect transcript from... Yeah, it's, it's really impre- impressive for me that the machine can recognize that voice. And it doesn't only understand English, it also understands like really weird language like Mongolian and Yoruba and it transforms everything to English. So that was very, very impressive how that works. Yeah, Yeah,
0: that's got to be tough because even within a given language, you've got different dialects, you know, different accents, different ways of saying things. You know, for instance, here in the US, you've got all kinds of different accents. You've got everything from your southern twang, you got your midwestern accents, you got your You know, Boston and New York accents, those are, sorry, hope nobody's insulted. Those are my terrible impressions. But being able to understand all those little nuances and still get it right is is a very difficult thing to do. Not something I'd ever really (laughs) want to take, not to tackle for sure.
1: Yeah, apparently it even understands my Swiss accent and writes generates really nice English sentences out of it. So even with my kids crying in the background, it can (laughs) understand everything. Apparently, they used half a million hours of speech to train that neural network. So it's quite an impressive thing. And it's open source. Everyone can use it, build their businesses around it. So I'm impressed
0: here. All right. Well, yeah, give us a link and we'll post that in the show notes for sure. And did you have another pick? Yeah, the other one is also, it's, it's in a similar area. It's
1: stable diffusion. Diffusion. I don't know I've if you heard have
0: that. heard of that. I've, I've heard other people talk about it. Uh, I think Shop Talk Show was talking about it this week, but I haven't really got into what it is. Mm-hmm. Yes, so what it does, it's also an
1: AI uh, application. It's an image generator. You provide a sentence about uh, what you want to see, for example, Bart Simpson on the moon eating a donut. And then it generates a very realistic image out of, of this sentence. And you can, even with correct, per, if it's a building, it draws correct perspective. It You can say, draw it with pencil, and then it's as if it was drawn with a pencil. And... There's, it's really impressive how that engine actually can generate those images and get everything correct, as if it was drawn by an artist. And I think, I think for like, for example, I would use that if I would need some some images, for example, for my for the header of a blog post. Instead of going to to iStock photo or so, I could use that. That uh, tool to generate an image which is completely new, which the world hasn't seen but had, because it has been generated by that engine. So that's very impressive.
0: Yeah, I just <laughs> believe it or not, I just uh, found, uh, found it through a, a URL, huggingface.co. And I generated, I did Bart Simpson on the moon eating a donut. And it actually gave me four donuts, excuse me, four images, eating them. And then you can click on them and cycle through them. <laughs> That was amazing. That was truly amazing. Reminds me of an article I saw. I think I saw it on Hacker News a couple of weeks ago. And it was talking about the whole issue of it was an art competition where people will submit their paintings, their art to be judged and pick a winner and so on. And the winner of the competition generated a lot of uh, controversy because it was an AI generated photo. A guy had used, I don't remember the application that he had used but it was AI. He put in a specific set of commands, I want this and this and this, and it drew a amazing, beautiful piece of art, but he entered it in the competition and competed against the human-drawn art and won. And of course, people were up in arms. And if I remember correctly from the end of the blog post, they were starting to create separate categories at competitions like this for AI-drawn art versus human-drawn art. But just the mm-hmm. stuff that can be done you know, with with a few commands and create very good looking art, realistic looking stuff is, is really amazing.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. But apparently finding the right command is quite tricky. There's huge blog posts and just about how to, what word combination to use. And uh, so there's still an art in there, but it's not the art of drawing something. It's the art of
0: finding the right prompt, how they call it. There's
1: still some work necessary.
0: But for someone like me, who would rather face a technical challenge than an artistic challenge because I don't have an artistic bone in my body, that certainly gives some more flexibility. I could see something like this being used, you know, like you mentioned. Type in some commands and generate a header, you know, for you or something, some piece of art or graphic that you could use on a website. And graphic artists and designers aren't liking that, I'm sure. (laughs) But certainly could open some possibilities for those of us who don't have artistic capabilities
1: yeah absolutely yeah
0: all right so yeah we will make sure and post the links to those in in the show notes for this episode so now it's my turn and we will go on to the high point of every episode which is my dad jokes that's up for debate actually but i'll share them anyway so recently you know i'm a left-handed i call myself normal even though we're only seven percent of the population.
1: Me too. Uh,
0: And recently, I lost three fingers on my left hand, so I asked my doctor if I would be able to write with it. and He said, maybe, but I wouldn't count on it. (laughs) So, three golf clubs walked into a bar. The putter ordered a beer, and the wedge ordered some whiskey. The bartender asked the third one if he wanted anything. He replied, no thanks, I'm the driver. (laughs) Right, right. And then, (laughs) finally... Do you know what the first rule of PASSO Aggressive Club is? You know what? Never mind. Forget it. <laughs> all right. So before we wrap up, Sylvan, if people want to get a hold of you or give you money or find out about your company, what's the best way to contact you?
1: I would say it's my uh, personal website. There, there is links to all my social network on the top right. Personal okay. website is will be in the show notes, I guess.
0: Yes, we will put it in there, muleman.com. Excellent. I am wonder95 on Twitter, on GitHub, and just about anywhere else. So if you want a dad joke five out of seven days a week, check me out on Twitter at wonder95. So with that, we will wrap it up. Thank you, Sylvan, for coming on the show and talking about your history and your company and some cool stuff with JavaScript.
1: Thanks for having me, Stu.
2: All righty. And we will talk at you next time on Views on View. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit dot to learn more.